0: Welcome to One Interview, One World. This is Lainey Kay, and this is a show about interviewing people from all walks of life, because everyone has a story to share, and we can all learn from each other. I hope you enjoy listening. What is the average time that they're here?
1: Um, Usually for the pups, it's anywhere from two to four months. With the adults, we try and lessen that time. It's usually about a month. Um, it, it just definitely depends. Um, yeah. Some animals will start eating right away. Some animals will take two weeks in the ICU with two feedings and then eat. So, but the average is about two to four months. Okay.
2: You know, we have a big education program here. We educate probably seven to 9,000 kids a year. In one of our biggest um, classes is the Pinnapet Pollution Project, and we're bringing Title One schools in from inland to teach them that what they put down the drain affects the oceans. So it's water quality, water quality, water quality.
0: Today I am at the Pacific Marine Mammal Center and I am with Keith Matassa. And Keith is the director of the zoological and conservation programs here. And Krista Kiguchi is in charge of events and public relations coordinator. So we're going to learn more about the Pacific Marine Mammal Center and what you guys do here. We're going to ask questions along the way, but I'd love for each of you to introduce yourselves, give me a little background about yourselves, and then we can ask questions and learn more. Perfect. So Krista, why don't you go ahead?
1: Right. Um, So my journey with Pacific Marine Mammal Center started about 10 years ago. Um, I started back in 2009 as a education docent volunteer. Um, and then I switched over to animal care and then, um, in 2015, um, when we had our unusual mortality event, um, we had a very, um, we had a lot of sea lions that and We rescued almost 600 patients that year. Um, I was hired on part-time, um, as a rescue coordinator to kind of help, um, field all the phone calls, coordinate the rescues, um, and that sort of thing, and then um, transferred to um, a full-time position uh, once I graduated college, um, in the, to the transferred over to the development side of um, events and public relations. Um, but I'm lucky enough that I still get to do um, some work in animal
0: care as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That sounds like quite a passion. Yes. That's really nice. Very much so. And Keith, would you give me a little background on you?
2: Sure. I um, came here from Maine, where I ran another rehab center at the University of New England for 12 years. And um, I came here and started as executive director five years ago. And we went through all the unusual mortality events. And um, I then transitioned to the role I have now with um, hopes to impact people and tell people why we are rehabbing these animals and what is affecting the marine environment as well as doing conservation on a whole bunch of different levels.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, I know you guys are talking, just right, up, right off the bat, you're talking about, like, your mortality events. Say that again, what was it? Um, unusual mortality event. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what is that?
1: We had a UME in 2015. It kind of lasted a few years. It started in 2013 and kind of lasted throughout um, 2016. Um and it's just a spike in mammal strandings. Um, in particular, for those years, the California sea lion, um, it did coincide with an El Nino event and a warm water blob. Um, so during those El Nino years, um, which we are currently experiencing now, um, is the, in a in a nutshell, the warm ocean temperatures um, kind of push the sea lion's main food source out deeper into the ocean. So um, we did see a A high spike in pup strandings because um, you know one reason could be mom was um, you know off hunting and foraging, um, who's normally gone for a couple days was gone for you know a couple weeks. Pups get hungry, anxious, and they wander off, get lost, and um, they're too weak um, to kind of be out there on their own, so they strand.
0: Okay.
2: And on on a (laughs) general note, we've seen an increase in unusual mortality events since the '80s. It was usually like one every couple of years. Now we're getting multiple UMEs in multiple regions in the same year. For example, the East Coast is going through four UMEs right now that involve harbor seals, gray seals, right whales, humpback whales, and one other that I can't remember. No, that was four. Um, so, and we just had the unusual mortality event on the sea lions, and that was caused by um, lack of food temperatures of the ocean going down so unusual mortality events are a spike in marine mammal strandings with unusual reasons or unknown reasons mm-hmm. so there's been a lot of those lately um and it just shows the plight of the marine environment and the animals and the fact that things are getting worse out there
0: mm-hmm. and is that attributed to climate change in general or hard to
2: answer Um, Well, let's start um, with some basics. There's three pressures that you never take away or never um, separate, and that is the marine mammal population, the human population, and what's happening with the environment. So Mm -hmm. sea lions, any marine mammal that inhabits the world. um, And then you have the human pressures, which are more uses on marine environments, more fishing, more types of fishing, better ways of fishing, um, interaction between marine mammals and fishermen, because they're all going after the same thing. And then, on top of that, you have all the environmental changes, warming of water, warming of currents, different window, wind currents, all the um, discharge that we put off um, of the mainland or the land sources going into the environment, all the plastic pollutions, um, even down to sunscreen products are starting to affect the oceans. So there's you can never separate those things out when you're talking about Mm-hmm. Our field or what's happening with the ocean. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. That's good information. Well, why don't you guys share with me how did the Pacific Marine Mammal Center start? Um, so we began all the way back
1: in 1971. We were the first um, marine mammal licensed um, marine mammal stranding um, organization in California. We began actually because a little girl, found a, um, a sick little harbor seal and she kind of went up to a lifeguard and said, hey, you know, there's a sick um, sick marine seal, can I um, can you help it? And the lifeguard was like, well, you know, I actually only rescue people. And she was like, I thought a life was a life and how can you argue with a little girl who says that to you? So um, he went over to the, the seal, he picked it up, brought it back to his house, um, nursed it back to health in his bathtub released it back into the wild. Now, this was before Marine Mammal Protection Act and before you could, um, you know, all those laws and rules went into place, but, um, word of his good deed kind of spread like wildfire and all these people started bringing him, you know, sick marine, um, marine mammals. And he partnered up, um, with, um, a Laguna Beach, um, another Laguna Beach lifeguard and, uh, high school teacher, and then a veterinarian, and those three kind of formed the beginning of uh, mm-hmm. PMMC. Um, we started in the, the tiny red barn that, and kind of have grown to what we have today with all the pools and different levels and education programs. Um,
0: so when did it become like a non-profit, an actual nonprofit? 1971. So pretty yes. quickly. Mm-hmm. And what were the originators' names?
1: Um, Jim Stauffer. Uh, John Cunningham and
0: Dr. Rose Egbert. Very nice. That's so nice. Um, you guys built up this place that helps the stranded animals. So I'd love to know more. Like, what happens when you hear about a stranded animal? What What ha- do you you bring it here? What's the process? Yeah.
1: So we get calls um, just because we are a nonprofit. Um, we're not large enough to kind of police the beach every day. So we we um, highly depend on the community and. Um, the public support, um, animal uh, animal control, harbor patrol, lifeguards, marine safety, or even the public that kind of knows about us—they will give us a call and say, "Hey, I think there's a sick um, marine mammal." Um, we'll ask for a photo of the animal and then um, dispatch our rescue teams. That photo is very important because it prepares us for what to expect. You know, we need to know if we're rescuing an adult versus a pup, um, an elephant seal versus a sea lion, you know, a dolphin versus a whale, um, just so that our rescue team is fully prepared, brings the right equipment, um, to go out and help that animal. Um, and then, um, once our crew, um, rescues the animal, we'll bring it back here and it goes through an entire intake process. So just kind of like if you were at a doctor, you know, um, it's checked in by one of our, um, our veterinarian or members of our animal care team, um, we get a weight, you know, glucose, temperature, they check the eyes, the hearts, they observe any injuries, um, try and get some blood work on it. Um, and that's all very important because every animal is different. You know, what's affecting one animal might be affecting, not be affecting another one. You know, one might have an entanglement versus, um, a parasite versus, you know, malnutrition. You know, it's all, it's all, um, every animal is definitely different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so tell me, Keith, what what types of injuries do they encounter?
2: A lot of entanglements or human interaction, um, fishing hooks, fishing line, net gear. Um, Some injuries a little bit worse than that. Uh, We see shark bites. We see a lot of um, heavy parasites loads on these animals because they are so debilitated. Um, A lot of underweight, emaciated animals. Um so what you have to do is you have to treat their initial problems first so that would be dehydration malnutrition and then once you get them stable you start looking into their secondary reasons or primary reasons for being sick so for example if an animal gets pneumonia um, they'll start getting sick they'll start eating or trying to dive but they'll start losing weight because they're not eating as much so that weight that they're losing is actually their winter coat that keeps them warm in the water so they can't dive as long so they eat trashier fish Mm -hmm. and have parasites So everything is on top of one another. So the pneumonia is their primary cause. And then they get starvation. They get heavy parasites. Um, A lot of things happen after that. So we bring them in and we start kind of backwards. And we go for dehydration and stabilization. And then we treat what their problems are. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a mixed bag on what each animal brings to us. Um, that's why each animal is treated as an individual each animal has their own medical records each has their medical treatment Um, so that's how we we what we see and how we treat it Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: like a puzzle yeah Yeah. (laughs) what is the average time that they're here
1: um usually for the pups it's anywhere from two to four months with the adults we try and lessen that time it's usually about a month um it, it just definitely depends um some yeah. animals will start eating right away. Some animals will take two weeks in the ICU with tube feedings and then eat. So, But the average is about two
0: to four months. Okay. Do they have to get IVs sometimes?
1: Um, we do give them fluids subcutaneously mm-hmm. um, oh, okay. for like hydration. Yeah. Okay. Um, and orally. And orally.
2: Mm-hmm. And finding a, a vein on a sea lion or an artery on a sea lion is rather difficult. Okay, so yes, that's yeah. why we use sub-Q and um, oral.
0: And then what types of marine animals do you help rehabilitate here? Our four main patients are California sea lions,
1: um, just because we have a lot of them here, Uh, northern elephant seals, harbor seals, and fur seals. We do cetacean um, dolphin and whale response, and then PMMC is also a part of the Orange County Large Whale Entanglement Team, um, which is where we have a a core group of trained um, individuals, um, who work with NOAA when there's an entangled whale reported out there. So we have a couple Zodiacs and we have all of our equipment and, um, you know, we'll go out and, you know, document. Um, documentation is huge um, and help try and do everything we can for that whale as safely as possible. Um, but that's another part of PMC as well. Okay.
2: And then another, another area that we're getting into now because they're becoming um, a little more common up here is actually sea turtle response. Um yes for some reason we're seeing a lot more warmer water animals up in the northern areas we had a striped, I dolphin. A striped
1: dolphin who is normally tropical shouldn't be here <laughs>
2: right he he stranded or she stranded i can't remember which it was but we're starting to see a lot more sea turtles in Dana point area um and in our northern response area remember our response area is only orange county so we have only 52 miles of coastline but it's a very busy 52 miles coastline mm-hmm. um yeah, there's 3.3 million people in Orange County, and 60% of them live within 20 miles of the beach, I think is the last I've read. So that's a lot of people, a lot of pressure on the marine environment. Yeah, that's a
0: good good statistic. Compared you? to
2: Maine, that has 1.2 million people <laughs> in the whole state. Yeah. So yeah, um, there's a few more people out here. Yeah, um, and we
0: like to go out in the water.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> we do. Um, And we're silly enough in Maine to go in the water as well. It's just a little (laughs) chillier. Um, So, yeah, so we're seeing sea turtles here. We're seeing a whole shift in um, what we see off of our coastlines.
0: Um, So the water temperature has been getting warmer. Is it staying warmer then throughout the year?
2: It was in 2013, 14, 15, and 16. I think it went back down in 17. But they're saying that there's another warm water blob that's forming. Um, that might come in this year. Mm-hmm. So it's gone, but it's not gone. Mm-hmm. It's still in the background.
0: So it messes up the ecosystem for all the animals. It does.
2: It brings a lot of the warm water animals up from Mexico, from down yeah. south.
1: Um, last year we had a yellow bellied sea snake wash up in Newport Beach, and though there have been five, or I think that was the sixth, four, okay, so that was the fifth. Uh, yellow-bellied sea snake to ever wash up in the state of California, so these guys are not supposed to come this far north. Um, And uh, we reached out to, because we don't know anything about them, so we do collaborate with other scientists and organizations in our field. If we don't know the answer, hopefully someone else out Mm -hmm. there would. Um, So we worked with uh, the National History Museum of Los Angeles, I believe, and... um, he was like, oh, these guys are precursors to El Nino's. And lo and behold, this year, yeah, we got an El, El Nino, Nino. year. <laughs> so.
2: so that's what we, we like to do is be able to, we collect a lot of information, and we're not experts on everything, but we do reach out to get the answers or mm-hmm. to get to the people that have the answers right. so that we can put together the big picture of the puzzle right. and what's happening with the marine environment, why we're seeing all these different mm-hmm. um, animals, plants, everything that's mm-hmm. coming in.
0: When the sea turtles come, and this isn't their normal environment, is there food for them around here?
2: Yeah, they eat the jellyfish. Um, Yes, there
0: is.
1: Okay. So So they're out there. They just just don't come this far. They're not normally come on shore. So when they do, it's like, what are you doing here?
0: (laughs) Very cool. All right, and I know you, you just kind of touched on some of the unique marine animals, and you say you get the cetaceans, mm-hmm. if I'm saying that right. So that's dolphins, basically, or whales. And, and whales. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when they're hurt or you're helping them, what happens to them? Um, well, it is interesting because we um, rescued
1: six dolphins in a 14-day time span um, just um, in, in um February, beginning of February, uh, so we Keith has been very very busy with lots of um, dolphin necropsies. Unfortunately, uh, four of those dolphins did wash up dead. Two of them did wash up alive, however, um, were there were definitely big signs that there was something internally going on. Um, they kept had multiple multiple seizures and humane euthanasia was unfortunately. Um, decided by our animal care team and veterinarians um so we're trying to right now kind of figure out why did all of those dolphins strand in this short time frame and um we did get a report that there was an algal bloom off the coast of newport
2: yep on the 14th ish that could right, have, around, yeah. right around the, the start of this so that could have been part of the reason for the dolphin strandings. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, we'll respond to dolphin strandings. If they're dead and in good shape, we'll bring them back and do a post-necropsy um, on them, find out why they died. If they're alive, we'll bring them back, try to stabilize them, get on the phone with SeaWorld, um, and see if they're a rehab candidate. And if they are a rehab candidate, we'll transfer them down to SeaWorld and they'll take over the rehab because we don't have the don't facility have for long-term <laughs> rehab of dolphins here. Um, so again, another pointing to the collaboration that we mm-hmm. do with other organizations that are top-notch and first in their field.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. It's always
2: what's best for the animal, mm-hmm. um, whether that is rehab, leaving it on the beach, um, or humanely euthanizing it. Mm-hmm. That's all part of the discussion that we have here. Okay. It's part of the day-to-day decision-making, mm-hmm. I guess, and problems that we go mm-hmm. through with, with rehab.
1: Yeah, so with those necropsies, even though the animal didn't make it, the animal story will continue to tell us what's going on out there in the oceans. You know, we definitely live in close proximity to all these creatures, and, you know, what's affecting them could be affecting us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for especially, yeah. For year.
2: example, if you want to know what is affecting people right now, you go out and talk to the surfers and find out, you know, are their ears aching? You know, are they getting infections? What. What problems are they having from surfing? Because, again, there's a correlation between the humans in the marine environment and the dolphins Mm -hmm. or marine mammals.
0: Do they monitor? I take it they monitor the water quality. Yeah. So, so you guys, how often is a report known about like the water quality?
2: Monthly on algal blooms um, and what's going on with algal blooms. The water district does their own water testing, and I think that's on a weekly basis. And Um, If you notice, after every heavy rain event, the warning goes out on the radio to stay out of the water for three days or 72 hours after the rain event. So that should be very telling that if they're telling humans to stay out of the water, that probably what's going in the water isn't really good. And I've read a lot of articles, even the amount of feral cat poop that gets washed into the ocean is on the sum of like 75 metric tons a year goes into the marine environment. Um, and that carries toxoplasmosis, or could carry toxoplasmosis. Um, and that can be transferred to both marine mammals and to humans. So um, when you're told to stay out of the water, you probably should.
0: <laughs> Listen to the warnings. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a way to help the the water when it is bad like that for the marine animals or the mammals that are out there? Is there any way to... like? Clean it. any just because I know, like in the harbor, they have like the the things under the water. That's what oxygenates are there I guess. Yeah. But is there anything else to like help the water quality?
2: Yes, but it starts way back with you and I and every other individual yeah. in their house, in their place of work, in what they do and life choices every single day. What they put down their toilet, what they put down there. Um, drains, what they put on their lawn, mm-hmm. what they put in their pools, um, what Every they do with their dog waste, what they do with their cat waste, what they do in everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a big education program here. We educate probably seven to 9,000 kids a year. And one of our biggest um, classes is the Pignop Pollution Project. And we're bringing Title One schools in from inland to teach them that what they put down the drain affects the oceans. Watershed. So... It's water quality, water quality, water quality. We're going through a big multi-million dollar expansion to cut down our use of water here by 90%. Um, So it really begins with each and every individual. Individual. Um, You know, if you're going to roll down your window and throw something out while driving down the freeway, you might want to think twice about it. Um, You know, we've seen people park in our parking lot and open their doors and dump stuff in just a pile of trash and drive off it's like that and you notice that the creek is right there so if we don't go out there and pick that up it goes in the creek it goes go down to the ocean. right mm-hmm. and california doesn't have much rain so it's really easy to use these dry creek beds or they seem to be used a lot for disposal of things and then all of a sudden it rains and everything gets washed out to the ocean mm-hmm. um antibiotics that you throw down your toilet or flush down your toilet um are starting to affect the marine mammals. They're coming in um, resistant to antibiotics and they've never been given antibiotics. So it's gotta be coming through the water. Estrogen mimickers and estrogen products are starting to mess up the environment. Um, okay. So there's a whole lot of things that yeah we can do, but it's all what do you wanna do at home.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you for sharing. So what other things do you guys teach here when I, you guys have students and, and the community come?
1: Um, we have a lot of different, um, types of educational programs ranging from all ages. You know, we have Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, um, fourth and fifth graders with the, um, Peniped Pollution Project, um, adults, colleges, we have corporate programs for, um, you know, employees to come, and it's definitely about, education, you know, the things that Keith said, you know, what you can do at home, um, the different types of animals that we have here, um, we we do we do it all. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, That's if you look at our, our visitor yard, we have 55,000, about 55,000 visitors a year that come here from all over the world. We have docents out in the visitor yard every single day. We're open every single day. We teach the people about what's going on with the animals, what's affecting the animals, We show them individual animals or point out individual animals, but they can also turn around and see conservation efforts with our pollinators, with our, they can look on top of the roof and see conservation efforts with energy, with our solar panels. Um, You know, we're walking the walk on conservation. We're trying to teach that to people, and we have thousands of chances to do that. And we have great docents that actually interact with the um, people and really give them an experience when they stop at the Pacific Rim Mammal. It's not all about the animals. It's everything now. We used to be just a rehab center. Now we're more of a conservation and rehab center.
1: Mm-hmm. Spreading the knowledge.
2: And, you know, we go beyond our, our borders as well or our physical location. We have distant learning programs that we're beaming into classes all around the world and hospitals all around the United that's States. That's um, That's a give-back program to, to hospitals and kids like we... Um, do special programs for Children's Hospital here. Chalk, um, yeah. Chalk. Um, we've been in the Children's Hospital in Boston, um, Master General Hospital in Boston, I believe. Um, Atlanta. Atlanta is another one. Distance so in Canada. We moved that out as well and, and try to, we can actually beam our center to all these different places. Um, we actually had a education class with a classroom in the upper parts of Canada and it was it's turned into more of a cultural conversation because some of the people some of the kids in the classroom actually ate marine mammals and they wanted to know why we didn't eat marine mammals and so they had a, a cultural conversation about that so it's really breaking down borders with the amount of teaching that we can do outside of bringing people here yeah um and then we have a whole big program on our post-release monitoring of animals where we asked people and we actually had a Seal app, cell phone app developed so people can report back our tagged animals. Um, And that's growing because we're getting to know. You saw me doing satellite tagging locations today on a couple of our animals that we have out there. Looking at these animals and evaluating how they're doing after release is also very important so that we can improve our rehab techniques Mm -hmm. to make sure that they become. productive animals out in the wild and we know that we've had productive animals because we've seen um shanti which is a harbor seal that went down to la jolla and seems to have hooked up with a, with roxy another harbor seal and produced a pup and roxy was from rehab as well so maybe it was the <laughs> the, the tags that, that yeah the an rehab location. animals got together but and then we've had pictures of um um uh, a California sea lion that was here in 2013 as a pup that is now nursing pups of her own out on the islands or wherever she was seen, La Jolla. La Jolla, mm mm-hmm. um, We're watching changes of where the animals are going. Like, La Jolla is now a big rookery at certain times of the year um, instead of just out of the Channel Islands. So we're watching animals move around. We're seeing what our animals are doing after rehab and knowing that what we're doing is making them giving them a second chance. Trish gets another, another animal. She was released for another rehab center. Um, she lost weight. She was attacked by a shark. We picked her up, gave her a second chance, third chance. Um, and we've been tracking her now for close to 80 days, and she's doing fine out in the wild. We've gotten eyes back on her and been able to evaluate her body condition 30 days post-release, which is amazing to be able to do. So yeah. we're gaining a lot of information on that as well.
0: What is the app called? seal spotter seal spotter Oh, that's really neat mm-hmm. and anybody can do it
2: yep it's free it's on google, google play and ios, and iOS.
0: that's yeah. so nice and
2: it's um it's really kind of cool too bad you couldn't see it all but um <laughs> just launched last month oh, that's just great. launched last month so you can go oh, through I you can take a picture um see
0: <laughs>
2: so yeah we're really busy 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 yeah busy sounds place. like you
0: guys are Um, I know I saw some of the animals down there look like they had you know marks on them So
1: so that is a shave mark with the California sea lions um, Just because especially when they first come in we need to have a way of telling them all apart Um, So we take a pair of dog grooming clippers, and it's just a little haircut. It'll grow back Um, It corresponds with our feral marking system so every mark um, Is a number, so you might have seen like a backwards seven, and then like a little mountain sign. That's the twenty-third California sea lion we've rescued
2: in two thousand nineteen. Okay. So it's really is easy to visualize if you take a square, you visualize a square in your mind, the upper right-hand corner, or excuse me, upper left-hand corner. If you just look at the corner, that's a two. The next corner is a four. Next corner is an eight. Six and then eight, and then you impose a diamond on top of that. And your diamond oh, and points. Of your diamonds are your odd numbers.
1: Because it's hard to, you know, um, shave a, a six or a three into the right. side this of it. Right. This was
2: angle. all made for um, marking cattle, way back, mm-hmm. way back, way, 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 way oh, back. Yeah, yeah, because it's easier to make brands that are right angles or in angles than trying to do an eight or a six. <laughs> so that way, we know we can identify our animals Sorry. whether it's the so first if animal. So somebody
0: sends you a picture how are you able to um like, you well, can just look at them and kind of tell. Once the
1: animals are deemed um you know past that kind of hump yeah. um we do tag all of our animals so okay. um we put a, a roto tag in the corner of their flipper and it's like the cartilage part it's like an ear piercing so um we will tag all of our animals. Um, so we do ask for that number to be reported. Okay.
0: You're hoping to get a picture mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. But you can also probably look at them sometimes so and yeah. you know who they are from your your documentation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, one animal might have a scar or yeah.
1: a previous entanglement or mm-hmm. have a cute face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can
2: and it's kind of fun because the people that are looking at the animal can impress their friends. That are with them because they can go. Oh, that's a female, or oh, that's a male, just by looking at what side the tag is on. Um, because, and this is um, a lesson for all those kids listening. Um, females are tagged on the right because females are always right, and males are tagged on the left because we're always wrong. So, um, so yeah. So if it's a California sea lion, they're going to be tagged on their front flippers. And if it's a elephant seal or harbor seal, it'll be the rear flippers. But always right for ladies and left, left for, for males. males. Very cute. So yeah, <laughs> that's the way you can impress your date or anything like else that. that you have. They're yeah. Out yeah. On
0: the water. yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell me about some of the research that you you do here, or that you collaborate with.
2: Oh my goodness! Um, where to begin? Where to begin? So. Um, we do necropsies or autopsies on all of our animals, and, and um, the animal that we have treated, or the live animal that's gone to wherever you believe that live animals go when they die, and it's <laughs> left us this beautiful present of a um, canvas of an animal. So we get to examine that animal. And the first thing we do is we examine it, and we take samples of all their organs and send that to a pathologist, and they look at it and tell us, they can tell us cause of death. On top of that, we take other samples for research to look at diseases. Right now, we're looking at the prevalence of morbillivirus, which is distemper, brucella, leptospirosis, influenza, and then um, seal pox. So that's five things that we're working with. We're working with UC Davis, University of Connecticut, Tufts University um, for some of those diagnostics. And then we're looking at some novel um, research with our animals. One is because we live in Southern California, because there are so many people on the beach and in the water, and one thing you have to do in Southern California is put sunscreen on or you're going to burn. That's being transferred into the animals. So we want to see what the prevalence of sunscreen in marine mammals are. So we take samples of, say, their blubber, their kidneys, their liver, um, and a couple of other. Organs, and we send that out to the University of Connecticut to see if there's any sunscreen products in it. Then we're also looking at microplastics, and we're looking at two different facets of microplastics. One is the identification of microplastics. So we will actually take their stomach and flush it out, and take all their intestines and flush it out, and catch all of the microplastics if there are any in there, and stomach contents. So we can identify what the animals are eating before they stranded. and if there's any microplastics in it. That goes up to UC Davis to be identified. We then take other bodily tissues and send them to the University of Connecticut to see if they've uptaken any of the chemicals from the microplastics that they've ingested. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what we're doing for research. Mm -hmm. And then we're doing some retrospective research on um, has entanglement's increased over the years, so we're looking from 1983-ish, to present and um, doing statistics on all of our entanglements um, and seeing if they have increased, what kind of entanglements they are. Um, you know, whether it was human, well, they're all human related, <laughs> but whether it was fisheries or shot or um, net entanglement, things like that, okay. trying to break it down. Um, and then we're looking, we're working with another pathologist on all of our um, histology. Archive histology on dead animals from I don't know, 2009 on
0: that's a lot yeah
2: so that's that's why um, that's part of my the new job is setting all that up that's yeah, been that's
0: fantastic do you see a lot of plastic when you're you're doing that coming out of their intestines and their stomachs and um
2: mostly we've seen um macro plastics so candy wrappers um, trash bags, trash bags, bags, beach towels, um, things yeah. that are unmentionable on the radio inside of there. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, stomachs. That's common. Well,
2: yeah, but should it be? I no. mean, we just had a <laughs> endangered it's say not. whale in North Carolina die from um, having a plastic bag block his throat or her throat. So um, we've had sperm whales that have done the same thing. Um, or the same findings have been found. I mean, it's something that really is going to be a big problem because now um, 90% of your seabirds have plastics in their stomach. A lot of them are dying from the plastics because they feel full because they've eaten so much plastic. Um, and they break down. can say that, and they're saying that fish smell the plastic and like the plastic smell, oh, yeah. and that's why they're eating it. And what's even more scarier is it's being found in humans as well. So, again... We're looking at our top-level predators on what's affecting them because it does affect humans, and I don't really want to cut any humans up (laughs) to find out if there's microplastics or anything. That's
0: true. Touch on when somebody sees a stranded animal, what do you suggest that they do? Don't touch it. (laughs) Definitely keep your distance. Um, You know,
1: Keith's been talking about all these, you know, things that we're studying. These animals could potentially have um, you know some sort of parasite or disease that can be transmitted to your you or your pet. Um, Not only
2: that I'm gonna stop her right there for a minute. These animals are fast. Okay, they bite. Okay If you've ever tried to catch a fish in a lake or an ocean with your bare hands, you know, it's pretty impossible these animals do it in the middle of the ocean without their hands just
0: right. How fast their mouth <laughs> is so really
2: good You know you wouldn't go up to a skunk baby skunk, I don't think, and snuggle with that or try, you know, it's the same thing with these guys.
1: They may look cute and cuddly, but, you know, these guys can have a bite force ten times out of a pit bull. So you do not want that thing biting your kid or your your arm or your face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Especially when these animals strand. They're sick, they're hurt, they're scared. They will feel threatened, you know. Um, They can be aggressive. Mm -hmm. So So going back, what to do keep your distance, Um, whenever we do get reports of an animal we definitely say, you know, keep your distance, be safe. Um, From a safe distance, do take a picture of the animal so that we can again assess, you know, what type of equipment um, and how many people, you know, to send out on our rescue team. Do not pour water on it, especially these sea lions. They are partially aquatic and they do not need to be in the water at all times. Um, A lot of these animals, come in so emaciated and so malnourished that their blubber layer is very thin so they strand to stay warm so they don't want cold water being you know poured on top of them um I know even with the dolphins it you know you're so tempted to just push the animal back out into the water but you know more often than not these dolphins are stranding because there might be something wrong internally with them um the striped dolphin that we were talking about that stranded, um, at, I think at the end of last year, his jaw was completely shattered. So people who kept trying to push the animal back out, he just kept tumbling in the surf and getting injured more and more and more. So sometimes they might be doing more harm than good, you know. Um, we just ask that they call us um, and then, you know, so we can assess the animal and kind of decide what to, where to go from there. Really,
0: really good information. If, you know, this can be heard, you know, worldwide. Mm-hmm. So. That's really good information. And then you just need to seek out what organizations are local for you to help a stranded animal.
2: Each state has at least one rescue rehab facility that is taking care of that area. And you can always go on, you can do a search in your phone for NOAA um, Marine Mammal Strandings. And it'll bring up a map of the United States with all of your stranding centers all around the united states um coast guard um animal control animal control police department and um those lifeguards out there they Mm -hmm. all know how to get hold of us Mm -hmm. um most rehab centers and rescue centers have signs up on the beach or somewhere so look for those when you first get to a beach um there's a lot of information out there you just have to find it Mm -hmm. and we're trying to make that easier by getting signs on the beach Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of pushback on signs on the beach because there are so many signs that people. It kind of glazes over. So, um, you know, back of lifeguard towers, there usually is our number on the back oh, of the lifeguard tower.
0: Okay. That's really good to know. That's how,
2: that's how collaborative and that's how good our relationship is with the lifeguard lifeguards here in Southern California.
1: Yeah, we definitely, you know, could not do this alone. Without their support, without their help, without them monitoring, you know, it definitely... Um, Goes to show how vital these partnerships
2: are. Right, mm-hmm. and that goes for our funding as well. I mean, we have a lot of very supportive people and towns here in Southern California. Again, there's 3.3 million people. Um, we have a lot of visitors, but everything that we do here is funded through private donations and grants and um, public things. Support. That mm-hmm. Public support. There's nothing that is given to us, you know, um, in the state or federal bu- budget. You know, there's grants we can apply for, but. Nothing mm-hmm. saying here, PMMC, here's your budget for the year. So every January.
1: We start at zero.
2: We start at zero, and we got to bring in a lot of money to be able to help these animals. Mm-hmm.
0: That's very good. Very good. So hopefully people feel like donating. Yeah, you know, just our donating.
2: website was just redone. Krista had a, a big hand in doing that. It's a great website. It, it really is up to date on what we're doing here, um, how you can help. And it's not always monetary things that we need. Um we have wish. I think we have a wish mm-hmm. list still on the the website, um, but it's paper towels, um, car- unflav- or caro syrup, unflavored Pedialyte, toilet paper, um, gas cards. You know, wow. so it's not
0: for our rescue trucks. And right.
2: The- it's not always just
0: and know, people you know. to volunteer. As oh, yeah. People yeah.
2: to volunteer. You can go on our website and fill out a um, online application. Um, we have a volunteer coordinator that contacts the potential volunteers and sets up all the interviews with them um we have new programs for our volunteers um like our necropsy program we have mm-hmm. um eight new volunteers that are just doing necropsies with dr chris and i um yeah, and setting up and doing everything that goes along with sampling and archiving yeah. and with, with spreadsheeting.
1: The, yeah with all the new research and all these dolphin strandings and you know all these sea lions coming in um it has cut into a significant part a a lot of unexpected costs and time spent um you know the past month or so so the extra you know volunteers and the extra um donations donations definitely does help because it's a lot of unexpected costs that go into a lot of it Mm -hmm. Um, yeah the
2: actual necropsy for a dolphin is probably six hours long but on the front end you have at least an hour and a half of setup and prep for it and then on the tail end you have at least Lots Another four work. or five hours on archiving samples, getting samples out of here, doing the necropsy report, labeling all your pictures, doing all of that. And we have a set group of people now because, of course, the dolphin Drainies came right on the, the same time that we started getting busy downstairs, so we can't pull um,
1: animal care wildlife. people
2: out of animal care because they're so busy. Um, I think we're above numbers for last year, but below numbers for the years before Yes, um,
1: so we are definitely we we're seeing double the numbers that we've we saw in twenty eighteen not quite thank goodness what we were at you know twenty fourteen 17, 15, 16, but right. um, what is uh
0: an average an average the animals
1: here? would probably be about hundred and fifty to two hundred animals a year okay um, so we were right at or a little below last year. But we were higher in some areas. We were higher in elephant seals and cetaceans, lower in sea lions. So the year before we were higher in acid cases, but lower in you know certain other things. So, you know, the year before it was, pups, craziness. You know, um, pups. You know, triple, quadruple the number of pups. So we're just kind of holding our breath to see what we um, are going to experience this year. Um, we're definitely already double our numbers and quadruple our numbers in, in mm-hmm. cetaceans already, so um, we're just kind of waiting and, and seeing. We did rescue our first um, northern elephant seal over the weekend, and that's even three weeks earlier than when we normally see them. Um, it is a yearling, but still early. We usually
2: see pups that are a few months old, mm-hmm. elephant seal-wise. We very rarely see animals that a year... Or older, So a yearling is an animal that's between his first and second year. So it's unusual that we're getting elephant seals in. It's unusual that we're getting a yearling Yearling in. Um, We never see adult elephant seals. I never want to see an adult elephant seal because I don't know what I do (laughs) with a 5,000 pound (laughs) animal. Um, So, you know, we're starting to... In 2018, there were like these little blips of things that we're trying to get a foothold out there. And they never really could, but we had a lot of baby dolphins last year, whether they were neonates or um, aborted dolphins. We had a, a six out of 12 last year were babies. So that was something unusual. Um, we had a lot of elephant seals last year and they were doing some things. They were presenting um, yeah, or exhibiting uh, things that we've never seen before in elephant seals. They were eating, like one of the necropsies they did The elephant seal had eaten so many red crabs, which is a crab that shouldn't be here. It's only a warm water crab, and we've had blooms of them. Um, And elephant seals usually don't eat them. Last year, we had elephant seals eating them to the point where they were busting their stomachs. They were just overindulging. Um, So there was a lot last year that was like, maybe this will be something, maybe this will be something. Nothing ever caught hold this year. We're seeing it again, but on a bigger scale. So, you know, we tried to prepare for the worst but we can never really put our finger on what's going to happen in the next year. It's kind of like getting a, a flu shot based on last year's flu because they never know what this year's flu is going to be. Yeah. You know, you do your best, but um, there's nice. always some surprises right. there.
0: Huh. Is there anything that you would like to share that I didn't touch on?
1: Um, I just wanted to um, talk about the volunteers. We definitely heavily rely on volunteers here, so we are about 90% run. Volunteers. We have a small staff of twelve, um, I think, full time, and then um, two hundred volunteers. You know, they are our animal care team There are educators. There are docents. They're in our gift shop. You know, getting our um, you know selling our merchandise and products. And um, we definitely depend um, highly on on the volunteers here. Yeah.
0: So to be a volunteer here, what do you need to do? Yeah. Um, just because
1: the, the training of our volunteers is very expensive, you know, especially in, in animal care and, and, dose everything pretty much, um, we have to teach you how to deal with wild animals. Um, we do ask for a uh, year commitment, um, one shift per week. So it, like Monday morning or, you know, Sunday afternoon, um, you do have to apply and then our volunteer coordinator will reach out to you for an interview, um, you know, yeah, our, our, animal care team has to, is trained how to work with these wild animals. Our, our education and docent team is trained, you know, to answer any questions that, you know, the public or, um, you know, kids have about us. So it's definitely, um, we do ask for that, your commitment. Mm-hmm.
2: It's a very specialized field. It's very rewarding, but there is a lot of training that goes into it, um, and it's not something you can do on a whim. You really have to be committed mm-hmm. to come in. And you're going to be doing some... They're not the most glamorous jobs in the world. You know, thawing <laughs> <Cleaning> fish, <pens. laughs> sorting fish, cleaning pens. Um, there's cleaning pens after sea lions. And then there's another whole world of cleaning pens after elephant seals go to the bathroom. It's...
1: It's 99% clean. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no you're a hospital,
2: nice. so you've got to keep it clean, and none of these animals help you, and they don't, you know, <laughs> it's not like go to the bathroom over there. They, You know, you can't <laughs> train them. We're not want. trying to train them. Um, you know, you want to keep them as wild as possible, and, and with that comes precautions that we use mm-hmm. around the animals to make sure that they stay as wild as they possibly can, and our caretakers are as safe as they possibly can. Mm-hmm.
1: We definitely have some passionate individuals here, and they're fantastic. We've had volunteers that have been here for, you know, two or three decades. So it's that's a great group of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. And then they can pass on the knowledge to exactly. the new people. Yes, exactly. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having us. You're yes. awesome. um,
2: please. love
0: chit-chatting. Yeah, so so tell me the website. Um,
1: PacificMMC.org. Okay. Yeah, um, And we have everything on there, from our current patients, to release videos, to our volunteer and intern opportunities, to memberships and sponsorships, so it's all... To
2: special fun. events going on. Special
1: events, education, camp. Oh, that's an important one. We have one. a great oh, camp.
2: Yeah, we have a great camp coming up, but it's a week-long camp here. It's, um, um, sign-ups
1: are open now, a week-long camp, Monday through Friday daily camp it's super fun you learn all about marine mammals you get a um all sorts of arts and crafts kind of it's dana life of a rehabilitator you get to do like mock rescue you get a sort fish and scrub pens and <laughs> you <laughs> do get to all play scientist yeah that's
0: that's it's really very nice. very
1: um, unique camp of for what age Yeah, yes. 8 to
2: 13, I believe. Um, also, for the school year, um, we have Kids Club too, which is a, not Ocean Heroes, mm-hmm. um, which meets one Friday a month. Um, so that's on the website as well. Um,
0: different field trips. Different
2: field trips. And lots
0: of um, field trips come here for yes.
2: schools. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. Yeah. Um, we've had Eagle Scouts do projects here. So any um, school can reach out to you
0: about doing yep. that. Yeah. That's good. That's Even big. distance
2: learning. I mean, if you're listening That's from, really you know, Aroostook County, Maine, <laughs> and you want to see what we do out here at the Pacific Marine Mammal Center, write us, because we can we set can up a distance learning.
1: We beam our center into... Because,
2: you know, the county people need to know about marine mammals as well.
1: <laughs>
0: calling
2: you out. Um, yeah, I am calling them out, and there's one person <laughs> that'll hear this that'll laugh, so... <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you, Keith, and thank you, Krista. Thank you so much. Was good
2: information. Thanks for having us. Go. This was fun. This is okay. fun.